Welcome to Have You Seen, and yes, Heroes and Heroines, that was an ellipsis. I'm your host, Lee, and wait, what's this? This week's guest and I both have mothers named Martha. <laughs> That's right, ah. dear listeners, we are talking superhero movies. And if you get that reference, I am sincerely sorry for you, because it means that you, like me and my guest, have seen Batman v Superman, and you are much the worse for it. My guest today is Alex Nelson. Hello, I'm Alex Nelson. <laughs> In addition to loving superheroes as much as I do, Alex, I think you have the uh, perhaps regrettable distinction of having seen more movies with me than any other person. Uh, some highlights would include uh, seeing The Wrestler and then witnessing my uh, historic Mickey Rourke meltdown of 2009 when he didn't win the Oscar. Yeah, I think you threw some Oreos at my TV. Yeah, I was pretty mad. In rage, yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, one of my personal favorites is the Fast and the Furious, uh, seven night. So we saw Fast and Furious seven. Neither of us had ever seen a Fast and the Furious movie before. And it was completely unintelligible and also maybe the most fun I've had in the past five years at the movies. Yeah. I can't tell you a single thing that happened in that movie, but I do hundred percent know that I had a good time. Yeah. The one thing I remember is leaning over to you at one point and saying, did she just say that she has amnesia? And it turned out she did. <laughs> but before we get into our main superheroic discussion, we have to recap the Emmys. Uh, the big winner, of course, was my beloved Schitt's Creek, which won nine awards, including all four comedy acting awards. It's the first time a show has ever, a comedy or a drama actually, has ever won all four acting awards in the same year. It also won directing, writing, outstanding comedy series. It won casting, it won costume design. Um, it's the most wins by comedy in a single year as well. So two major records. Uh, have you seen the most recent season? Yeah, I actually had, I've only seen, well, I've only watched it recently once it like came to Netflix. Mm-hmm. Um, and you had been talking about it for a while. Um, but it was like, I don't even know what network it was on. It wasn't somewhere like, <laughs> I don't have cable, you know, like I'm not watching something unless it's on Netflix, Hulu or HBO. Um, but yeah, so I, I watched it kind of right as the quarantine stuff started, and I watched all of it within probably like a week or a week and a half, um, start to finish, so all, all the seasons. Uh, that is the correct way to consume the show, I think, especially like it was so well-timed with quarantine to become as big as it was, because it's so warm and fuzzy, but also it's an active watching show because the stuff that's happening is really unreal and really exciting. Um, Man, it's just great. I'm really happy for, I feel bad when stuff sweeps because it just sucks to be sitting there like watching the thing that you didn't work on win everything and the thing that you worked on win nothing. But at the same time, like Modern Family's final season was super mediocre and I like that show generally, but you know, it didn't do anything remarkable this year. of the other stuff that was out, like I would have loved Curb Your Enthusiasm to win something, but not at the expense of Shit's Creek. And then it seems like they're never going to reward that show anyway. So I don't know. Um, and by the way, you were uh, talking about you didn't know what network it was on. That's for a good reason because it was on something called Pop, which, as far oh. as I know, just shows like the movies that if the E network couldn't get the movies that they do get for reruns, this is the channel that has them, if that makes sense. Yeah, it's okay, not great. that's why I hadn't, I had heard the show, but I had no idea, like, what it was on when it, it was, was it showing, like, weekly? Yeah, yeah, uh, I, I watched the Netflix? most recent season weekly, um, 
and then it just really blew up when it hit streaming like so many great yeah. shows before it um on the drama side succession another show i have not watched dominated uh it won best drama series it won best directing writing and lead actor for the very creepy looking jeremy strong i'm sure he's wonderful in it but uh all I can think of is how mean he was to my dear Matthew McConaughey in The Gentleman, and uh, I, I don't cotton mm. to that. Uh, and then the other big thing with drama was Zendaya won, or is it Zendaya? One of them won and uh, got Best Emmy, or Best Drama Actress, and she's the youngest Best Drama Actress winner and only the second African-American to win. Uh, wow. Euphoria is great. I don't know if you've watched it. It's really dark. It's really sad, but she did an incredible acting job and a lot of people are mad, but they're wrong because even though I love right. Ozark, she was great. Yeah, I haven't watched that yet. I think, um, I mean, the drama section, I haven't seen very many of the like contenders at all. I think it's just Ozark, Stranger Things, and Mandalorian, which like, I guess is a drama. I don't know. I mean, it is. <laughs> it's but, definitely uh, not a comedy, but yeah, I hear you. But it has a lot of jokes. Yeah, it does. And Taika Waititi I mean, is in it. And yeah, like, it. look at who, who who made that movie. Like, there's a lot of jokes in that. Wait, in that yeah, show. Bill Bill Burr is in it too. Yeah, I mean, it's it's is John Favreau like the showrunner? Yeah, right. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it's. I mean, the the whole like you know the last episode is like a f opens with a five minute comedy like sketch thing with two stormtroopers. That's like just jokes. I had forgotten that it was nominated, mainly because it was only nominated for series. And then when it, they read its name, I was like, oh man, that would be so great. I, would yeah. be, I wouldn't be mad in the least. Like, I'm glad it got some acknowledgement, but it does just kind of, it just kind of sticks out yeah. in this type of kind of running, I guess. On the reality competition show, Drag Race, RuPaul's Drag Race won both Outstanding Reality Competition Series and Outstanding Reality Host. Uh, bummer for my beloved Top Chef, but this is the fourth year in a row for Drag Race, and that's pretty groundbreaking and exciting that it's it's become like a juggernaut. Uh, have I watched the most recent season? No, because now they come out every four months, and it's exhausting. Um, but yeah, that's the problem with reality shows. Yeah, they just make them so fast. I mean, now I guess we're not making anything, and I would kill for a reality show. But yeah. um, mm. I was thinking the other day about what socially distant Top Chef would look like. And I guess it would just be like, your food looks really good from a distance, but I can't smell it. And I'm too scared to get close to taste it. Well, maybe they do it more like uh, each contestant has to make like a Blu-ray burn. Um, mm. Or that like would be Hello fun, Fresh, yeah. you know, like to-go meal. It's like, here, <laughs> here's the ingredients. Now you cook it, see what you think. It's like oh. the opposite of Chopped, I guess. Yeah, that everybody gets the same basket delivered at the same time and they have the same amount of time. Oh, yeah. Or, really awkward, we like have the number of contestants and then Padma and Tom go to the houses with the basket and they say, okay, we're going to give you an hour cook for us. And then they cook it, they eat it, they judge it. Then they go to the next person and they just do that all day. So the each thing, episode <laughs> takes like a full day to film. The thing I think I would miss the most would be that when like all the contestants are walking by each other and they're always like behind behind yes like passing yes. Around. like that's the best part of those shows and i i feel like i would miss that very annoying but somewhat like iconic interaction of cooking shows it would be really funny to see someone you know drop something spill something and not be able to blame it on that though right like, 
in all the hubbub of my kitchen and then they look around and it's yeah it's them. like no that's your kitchen you just didn't clean up like maybe they're they're like a spouse and kids could just be running in the background and going behind and then it's their own ice cream machine that doesn't work oh yep because it is always the ice cream machine <laughs> right mm. Uh, speaking of home delivery, one of the best things of the, in my opinion, very excellent Emmys telecast was they had, for most of the winners, they had people stationed outside of everyone's homes in tuxedo-painted hazmat suits with an Emmy. And if the person won, they rang the doorbell, and then somebody who was with them or them themselves opened the door and let them in. So, like, in the background of say Zendaya winning she's like freaking out and her parents are freaking out or whatever and then this dude just waddles in in the background in a hazmat suit with an Emmy and it was just so I don't know they really they really ran with it they had a a great time uh I'm not a Jimmy Kimmel guy but he did an excellent excellent job yeah that's just a really surreal thing that Mm -hmm. like I my favorite is just I saw a couple clips of those hazmat suit people was like waving goodbye to the losers yes. just like oh you didn't win and they were so happy about it still but like oh see you later and then they waddle away in their hazmat seat hey that is a sad card holding uh extra actor i'm sure who's just gotten his first gig in six months i bet he was thrilled uh finally last emmys thing on the miniseries side watchman dominated it won best miniseries regina king won best actress which is her fourth emmy this decade unbelievable um it won supporting actor for the guy who plays uh, Dr. Manhattan, which I didn't love, but he gave a great speech. And then it won best writing and it didn't win supporting actress for Jean Smart, who gave my favorite TV performance of the year in uh, the third episode, which is one that she submitted um, where she's just like having that great dialogue with uh, the phone booth that supposedly sends messages up to Mars. Um, and let me talk a little bit about Uzo Adupa. She beat Go for it. She beat Cersei Lannister herself, Lena Headey, for supporting actress in a drama series for a comedy performance. The year before that, she beat a bunch of, in my opinion, much more interesting performances on her own show, including Laverne Cox and our beloved Laura Prepon from um, that 70s show. Oh. And then this year she stole it from Gene Smart. I did look it up. Gene Smart also has three Emmys. <laughs> <laughs> so so maybe okay. maybe she's doing okay, yeah, but I'm pretty pissed. Um, and then the supporting actor win kind of stole it from the guy who I thought really deserved it, which was uh, Jovan Adepo, who only was in one episode of Watchmen, who played uh, Hooded Justice in the flashback episode. And I just thought, incredible performance. That was the best episode of the series. Um, yeah, and, I, he yeah. shows up in a couple other episodes just briefly, though. Mm-hmm. But yeah, you're right. It's just that one episode where he is the star, and he, um, yeah, that's probably the best episode of the show. Yeah, uh, of course, the real supporting actor who should have won for that show was Tim Blake Nelson, who gave maybe yes. the best performance he's ever given in anything, and he's a great actor. Yeah, he was probably my favorite performance of that show, and also related to that my favorite character that they created for that show mm-hmm. um, so i thought with, they did a really interesting thing with him yeah or started to uh with that said i would love to hear your thoughts on Watchmen. i enthused about it last week but here on the long running and by long running i mean two episode series have you seen we welcome all opinions and i want to stress that <laughs> so, i mean, i liked that you gave me that disclaimer because you know that i disagree 
on this being a good show. Mm -hmm. um, and not to say, I, I think like seeing it win a lot of these things, except for like maybe it won writing, right? That's probably the one I have the biggest. Yeah, but uh, it did win writing for that same episode. For that one episode. Yeah, so that's like the, the, the little loophole it found. It's like the one, <laughs> it's like the show as a whole, I think is not well written. Mm -hmm. But there are little moments. There's definitely dialogues like the scene you mentioned with Gene Smart in the phone booth. Like, that is good. Um, the whole episode um, where the flashback is good. Um, a lot of the stuff that they did early on setting up um, Tim Blake Nels Nelson and Regina King's, like, the whole police force interaction was good. But, like, the structure of the show just, like, it sets up so many interesting things in the beginning. Mm -hmm. And then... And then there's like a weird, there's like this intermission of the flashback episode and like connecting that. And then the last few episodes just totally go off off the rails and they don't go back to the themes that it set up early. And it brings in all the, the original Watchmen characters. And I don't think it like does them justice. Um, it's just not the best use of them. And then in order to bring these you know, in order to bring Dr. Manhattan back, it kind of sidelines Regina King and, you know, her story a bit. Um, so I think it kind of like fell flat at the end. And it really upset me that I um, kind of got my interest early and then threw it away. I agree with a lot more of that than I expected because I, again, I love the show and the many flaws in it that I will completely consider there did not detract from me loving it one bit. But I think the beginning is extremely strong. Um, the extrapolations they make from the source material, which we can't stress enough how sacred the source material is to its fans. Um, you know, I, I think that they were pretty remarkable. Like the idea that, uh, a minor spoiler, that Adrian Veidt has set up this continuing scam to have raining uh, piles of squid, like little squid right. leaves falling down. I think that's absolutely brilliant because there's this great scene where Regina King's driving and she just has to pull over because like the squid storm gets too bad. I was like, this is something that would totally be in this uh, in this original comic, and that's what actually... this universe would be like in forty years from uh, from the publication date. I was also surprised that some of the stuff was so well done early on as like mm -hmm. a world building thing. Um, because neither one of us watched it right when the show released because the trailers and marketing for it like weren't that great and were oh, pretty it looked polarizing. Awful. Like yeah. yeah, and it was like not only did it just not was it not a good trailer, it also like kind of set up this weird it made you think that there was gonna be some kind of crazy um war between all these Rorschach um dudes. And it just felt odd. Like it just felt out of place. Um so then actually watching it and then seeing what they were really doing with the Rorschach army people and, you know, all the police officers wearing masks um, was interesting. You know, then they yeah. kind of, it was interesting and then that was it. Um, yeah, I think uh, a point in your, in your favor is that the things that I would really quickly rally to and point out as incredibly strong moments are just that, they're moments. And the overall arc of it is pretty messy. Like, it yeah. really falls apart at the end. Because the, the things that I think about, I think about the Gene Smart stuff in that episode. I think about that really great scene when, um, I can't remember her name, but Hong Chow's character goes to that couple because she wants to buy their house. 
And she really just plays this incredible, I'm thinking a million moves ahead mind game. And it's such a great introduction to a character. Again, that character's overall arc doesn't really make a lot of sense. Um, and I also will concede that I am hanging a lot of my adoration for the show on just the natural charisma of Regina King, because her character is pretty inconsistent and again, doesn't get a great arc resolved, but I just love her so much because she's such a good actor that I'm like, even even though there are many holes in the in the plotting, I will say, maybe it's just that the dialogue is so good and then the performances are so good that, yeah, I just was bowled over and the the thousand small cuts did nothing to stop me from uh, from falling for the show sure. and being very happy that it won. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Mm. Um, this, I think, is the only thing I've probably seen with Regina King in it. Uh, well, we're gonna At work least. on that. Um, because yeah, she's I mean, amazing. Because well, I, I, you know, I don't watch like that much TV, and I think yeah. that's where she's mostly. Um, yeah, she was. Shine. She was this really interesting. So she started as a child actor on this uh, kind of sitcom called Two Two Seven, and then she was in a. She did really good jobs in sort of middling stuff like Miss Congeniality Two, and funnily enough, uh, Legally Blonde Two, and. Then she had this incredible role in Ray, the uh, Jamie Foxx mm. vehicle. Um, she's not in it for very long, but she really, she was in the supporting actress contention. She did an amazing job. Uh, and then she just started pulling it down. Like she got this recurring role in American Crime, not to be confused with American Crime Story, the O.J. Simpson one that Ryan Murphy did, because this is how the universe works. We got a show called American Crime and a show called American Crime Story that premiered the same season and were nominated for multiple Emmys in the same category. Was American Horror Story also going at this time? <laughs> it would have been, yeah. I think they may have been on a break just because he was launching American Crime Story, but it was certainly in the zeitgeist. Um, but she was on American Crime, no story, and she won two Emmys in a row for it, nominated for a third, and then she was in a remarkable uh, miniseries on Netflix called Seven Seconds, and she won her third Emmy for that, and then She's just the miniseries queen, I guess. And then, of course, she won the Oscar two years ago in um, If Beale Street Could Talk, which I was not the biggest fan of that movie, but I was a huge fan of her performance, and uh, she was great. Loved watching her pick up every trophy in sight. That's on Hulu, by the way. Okay, so that's maybe something I can check out pretty pretty easily. Without yeah, two, huge, yeah. two hours instead of eight. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Now, Watchmen, of course, is all about superheroes and uh, the importance and the impact of them in a society, which led Alex and myself to massive superhero nerds to want to talk about the best superhero movie. That's right. We are going to definitively decide what the best movie in a genre is, a genre that is so broad now and that has made more money than any genre in history. Um, we are going to solve it right here, right now. I hope you're ready. I mean, yes, we can definitely definitively decide which one's the best. I'm sure that won't be hard at all. No. Um, I do, I'm very curious because you know, just by knowing me, what I'm bringing to the table as far as my movie choices. I know because I know you what choices I think you're going to bring. But let's say on three, what if we're doing like the film critic definition of quote-unquote best film like, critic like, best like the godfather of like, superhero movies okay what so do we like think this is? is just okay 
this is just a quick a quick on three. One, two, three. Dark Logan. Knight. Ooh, oh, okay. Okay. I really, okay. So spoiler alert, I did bring Logan as one of my three, but I, when I think about it, when I really sit down and just think on the subject, The Dark Knight is a perfect movie. It's, yeah. Yeah, it's like two and a half hours, but I love it, which is remarkable because as you know, I hate long movies. Um, it has great character work. It has incredible practical effects driven action. Uh, it has remarkable acting and writing. And it's, I don't know, it is, I think we both agree it's a masterpiece. It's a shame that it's so dragged down by it being so film bro-y, you know, because it's a great movie. Sure. Um, I don't disagree. It's definitely a masterpiece. It, you, it might even be the correct answer to that question. Um, I do think that there is an edge that Logan has over it. And that is that there's more of an emotional connection to the characters that um, Dark Knight doesn't always kind of emphasize. Um, mm -hmm. The Dark Knight series, like the whole Nolan Batman's, um, are more Batman movies than they are Bruce Wayne movies. And I think there's a little bit of, you know, extra story and character that could have been in those. Mm -hmm. But like, that's, that's like, I mean, as you said, Dark Knight is pretty much a masterpiece and I'm like really nitpicking to, to say that admittedly. Yeah, I think, I think a big quote unquote issue with Dark Knight is that it relies on you having seen Batman Begins for the emotional component because it doesn't spend any time sure. introducing you to Bruce Wayne, introducing you to Rachel Dawes, but Batman Begins, which is also a really good movie, um, it, you, if you can ride that in, if you have that in your mind when you're watching Dark Knight, which is a cop-out because a movie should stand on its own, um, it, it kind of papers over that, but I think you're absolutely right that it does leave you a little cold and a little distant. Uh, and maybe that's why the response to Heath Ledger's performance, uh, which of course he won an Oscar for, posthumous Oscar and first superhero Oscar, um, and first Joker Oscar of two, which oh, is a whole nother thing, um, that I think that's one of the reasons people attach so much to that performance is because he's in a way the emotional component of that movie in the sense that absolutely reacts to him so much. He, right, he no, stimulates 100%. the viewers so much. Um, and and I he does that and he does it fantastically. And I think it's just kind of a little weird that you don't get that from your protagonist, like, you know, the good guys of, of the superhero movie. Mm -hmm. At least as much. I mean, I think Christian Bale's Batman is still great. Um, it's just not the... It's not the easiest character to relate to, I guess. Yeah, he's not the most emotionally resonant. Yeah, he is. Exactly. Certainly when you compare him to my favorite Batman, now and forever, Michael Keaton, which, like, it is... Those are very strange movies, the two Batman movies he made with Tim Burton, but, like, that Bruce Wayne is a really lonely and really interesting guy. Like, I think of that great scene when he uh, has dinner with Vicki Vale in the first Batman in the 1989, and they they're sitting at this massive table, and she's saying, you know, can you pass the salt? And they do a joke where she has to shout down the table. But it really reminds you just like, this guy is an orphan and he's really lonely and he's really awkward and weird. And the only reason people think he's a billionaire playboy is because they don't ever interact with him. Yeah, um, it's definitely an image that Bruce sets up on purpose. Yeah. 
we're at a really interesting crossroads here where we could talk more about the Dark Knight and Batman movies in general, which are rightfully going to dominate the conversation, I think, because Batman is, with the exception of Spider-Man, the most iconic superhero in general. And then there have been a lot of remarkable Batman movies. Or we could talk about Logan, which is, I mean, chef's kiss, so well, good. <laughs> let's let's stick with Batman. There's a lot of remarkable Batman movies. What What do you put at the top of that list? I mean, Dark Knight, we've already established what's what's following that dark knight is the best batman returns is my favorite and i know that's i know that's insane because it is such a weird weird movie but i just i love i rewatched it in preparation for this and i just love that movie from start to finish like it opens with this really bizarre gothic story and there's this great danny elfman score he scored uh both two both of the tim burton batman movies and uh, so it's this really strange and sad Christmas theme and you get this long, long shot through Gotham City and you end up with this couple on a uh, couple in a big mansion and they've had this baby and the baby is hideous and deformed and they dump it into a river and you're like, I'm sorry, I thought this was a kid's Batman movie. Uh, especially because even though both the Tim Burton Batmans deal with very mature themes. They were marketed to kids. There were toys out the butt. Like for sure, this was this was a family movie that everyone was supposed to go see. And this movie is so dark. Um, and especially for Tim Burton, who you know he often has trouble balancing the whimsy and the darkness. This movie leans full on into the darkness. Um, and I think what he evokes that I really respond to is this idea of superheroes and supervillains as urban legends. You know, you've got the guy who dresses up as a bat and fights crime, and that seems like a ridiculous story on its face if we didn't know about Batman. You've got a, a flawless cat burglar who survived a hundred-story fall from a skyscraper and was licked back to life by cats. That actually happens in this movie, and yet I like it. Um, and then of course you have a cannibalistic penguin man who lives in the sewers. Uh, and I just love that he, he creates a Gotham city that feels Gothic, ha pun, but also Mm. like, it feels like the Gotham city that I think of when I think it's the Gotham city where a place like Arkham Asylum can exist. It's a Gotham city where that many sky, uh, not skyscrapers, gargoyles can exist and a man dressed as a bat can perch himself on them and it doesn't seem inherently stupid. Right, because the Dark Knight Gotham is, it's just like Chicago, right? Like It, it was shot or, in Chicago, it looks like Chicago, it yeah, feels like, like Chicago. Is there anything different between it and Chicago? Like, no, not really. Yeah. Um, I love that he took all of the money and all of the acclaim and all of the success of the 1989 Batman, which did gangbusters and launched the superhero genre, except for, I mean, there were the Superman movies that did pretty well, but then there was an almost 10-year gap between a successful Superman movie and then the 1989 Batman. And he could have done anything with that and he could have played it safe, but he made the weirdest, most unique movie that he has ever made that maybe exists in the superhero genre. Um, Also, okay, I hate when a superhero movie starts up and there's within 30 minutes, we have three different bad guys. This movie has three different bad guys and they are all amazing. Danny DeVito is the penguin who is like, the Daniel Day-Lewis of freaks in this movie. <laughs> like, he is... there. There's a part where he bites off a dude's finger, and I then, forgot like, he was such a, a yeah, cannibal. He, he's a troll. He is a troll. Yeah. Um, and then you have Michelle Pfeiffer, who just... 
it is my favorite performance in a superhero movie, uh, her as Catwoman. Like, because you get, wow. I will admit that this is a Catwoman movie more than it is a Batman movie because it has her birth as a character. It has her complete arc. Um, it has these incredibly iconic scenes where, so she's, there's an attempted murder. She survives it miraculously, again, in this very urban legend style fashion. She goes home. She has a complete nervous breakdown where she's, you may remember this, she's shoving those uh, stuffed animals down the disposal and there's stuffing flying everywhere and her hair is all crazy and she's just like losing it. And she trashes her apartment. She knits the Catwoman suit and it is such a great looking suit with all those visible stitches and um, the... Uh, thumbtacks as claws, and and then it it culminates in this great moment of her posing in front of this that pink neon sign that used to say hello there and now says hell here, and then she just slinks out into the night, and the movie really gets going, and it is it's remarkable. I love it. So is that then like the edge that it has over just? Tim Burton's first Batman with the Joker, because I think that's the one people usually would say is the better, you know, maybe it's the classic. So yeah. is it just that this one kind of doubles down on everything, that one? I think it does have everything that the first one had, but better. Okay. Um, I think that it's also just slightly less formulaic in terms of the structure of a movie and uh, certainly an action movie. And then I think that it has a lot of payoff from the first movie because that loneliness and that strangeness that Michael Keaton embodies in both movies really gets a payoff when he meets and falls in love with Catwoman because uh, he finds this other, this is so cliche, but creature of the night and they really click and uh, they have very similar ideas about justice, but just different ways in pursuing it. And yeah, I mean, it's, it is messy, but I think it's remarkable. What about you? What did uh, what would you say besides the Dark Knight? If you have another Batman to bring, uh, I don't know that I do. Mm. Um, I think Dark Knight's definitely a, a, a big winner. I mean, I we both you know grew up in the '90s, so I'm sure uh, at least for me, Batman Forever holds a special place in my heart, mm. um, even though it's admittedly just totally wacky and like over the top and uh, not always in a good way. Like, you know, it's like, it's like goes a little too much into a lot of this stuff. Um, I mean, Jim Carrey is just kind of being Jim Carrey as the Riddler. Mm -hmm. um, but that's like, that's like more of a nostalgic thing than anything else. I mean, I think otherwise, uh, you know, Dark Knight's probably the, the Batman movie. Yeah. I, I love all of the, the 90s run that was semi-sequential even though we changed directors and we changed Batman's multiple times uh for each of them for what they are like when you watch Batman and Robin as an adult because you go through this phase right you're a kid and you like anything it's just like it's superheroes yeah. they're punching it's great I love it they're special effects my eyes are bugging out of my head it's amazing and then you go through the cool phase of like a you know teenager to to young adult and you're like ugh. Batman Forever, Batman and Robin, they're worthless, blah, blah, blah. And then you're an adult and you just, you've had a crappy day at work and you turn on the TV and Batman and Robin is on there and Uma Thurman is wearing high heels and talking and she's like sitting in a giant plant. It doesn't make sense. And Arnold Schwarzenegger's making all these ice puns. 
besides Batman Returns, Dark Knight, clearly the best. And maybe, maybe again, the, the Godfather answer for this question. Yeah, it's very likely. But you did bring up another one of my picks, and it sounds like your pick as well, uh, Logan. Logan's just good. Yeah. It's just a good movie. Yeah, I, I completely agree. I think every element of it is exceptional. I think it has great performances from uh, Hugh Jackman and from Patrick Stewart. Uh, I think it is, frankly, the best acting Patrick Stewart has ever done, and I'm a big TNG fan, and I think he just does a great, great job. I think the reason it works is that it's just a really potent story about age and obsolescence and being replaced by things. Like, the whole drive of this movie is Logan is dying, his healing isn't working anymore, and he's got his daughter slash clone replacing him on one end, and then this weird pseudo-cyborg, pseudo-clone that uh, Weapon X has made. And I don't know, I, I find this incredibly potent that his antagonist in this movie, Hugh Jackman's antagonist in this movie, is a younger indestructible, unageable Hugh Jackman. Because, of course, the reason that this is the last Logan movie is that sure. he was 47 when they made this movie. He was 47 years old. He'd been playing Logan for 17 years. Um, like, the guy's worn down. And he'd stayed, we should, we should specify, he stayed in Wolverine shape for 17 years. Like, it's, it's unbelievable. I mean, I agree with all of that. And you, you talked about the villain being like the younger version of Hugh Jackman, which is definitely, you know, true outside of the movie, but in, in the context, like that's also just like Logan battling against Wolverine and like his mm-hmm. nature versus, um, I don't know if that's right, but like, it's the two sides of, of the, the feral bar- berserker Wolverine. And then, you know, the hero. Um, and then you have, this evil clone version of him. And then you have this young, innocent clone that could go either way that he has to try and um, protect. Um, So there's a lot of just like emotion there. And um, I mean, I think everyone can kind of look into that and be like trying to better yourself um, is like kind of a theme there, despite failings or shortcomings or who you think you might be. There's always improvement. Yeah, and you can always, you're constantly making a choice and it's always hard, but you can always choose to be a man and to do the, and I mean that as a human, I don't mean that in a gendered way, uh, to be a human being rather than a weapon, rather than a beast. And um, I love that, okay, I don't want to get into spoilers here, but I love that at the end of this movie, Logan is himself. And the, the final act of this movie, the final action set piece, is a guy with claws running through the woods protecting a, a group of mutant children. And, like, that's what Wolverine the comic character should be. And that's what Wolverine the character has been. Like, I think of that iconic scene in X2, X-Men United, uh, where the paramilitary force has raided the mansion and Wolverine sees the kids that he's slowly learned to protect, you know, being threatened and just goes nuts. And I love how that's echoed. I love that he reclaims that instead of, you know, shutting, he's shutting down Laura, who kind of stands in for all of the, the children he either failed to protect or failed to teach. 
and he's shutting her down, he's shutting her down, and then finally realizes, you know, no, this is what I was meant to do. And I love that it it brings all of that emotion back. I also love that it's a Western. There is a literal train sequence where they have to beat the train across the tracks and use it to um, to stop their pursuers. I love that it's set in Mexico and the Texas border. I love that they take a, you know, essentially a road trip to Montana like every other Western. Yeah. Uh, I love that every chance that they get, somebody says a version of, you did what we paid you for, take your money and go. And he's constantly choosing to just like do the good cowboy thing and, and keep it up. Yeah, and then when they stop at the uh, like little farmhouse, and those strangers like give their hospitality. It's like that's, and then the bandits show up, right? I uh, I do think that for it to be the best superhero movie, it strays a bit into genre, you know, like a bit too into genre, out of the superhero genre and into the western. Yeah, so this is actually why I kind of, uh, when you said the first question when you asked like, what's the best like just from a, this is the film critic best picture. Mm, yeah. Um, I would put Logan higher up in that category than I would like, this is the best superhero movie for being a superhero movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, because you could take the superheroes out of this movie and uh, you might have to kind of change the writing to make sense that these people no longer have superpowers, but like, it's still just as good and just as, you know, it's, you it can be the same movie. Yeah, I mean, if you took out the claws and the healing factor or whatever, it would just be a movie about decay, right? It would just be a movie about getting older and being worn down and choosing, again, waking up and choosing the right thing to do every day. Yeah, Um, I mean, it it would just be a Western, right? Yep. Until recently, it was my favorite Marvel movie. I think Infinity War just edges it out, but it's like, it would trade on the day. If you ask me tomorrow, it could be a different answer. Um, it is a remarkable 70s era paranoid spy thriller. It feels like if it feels like you're watching uh, Three Days of the Condor or The China Syndrome or any of those great My Whole Organization Has Turned Against Me movies from the 70s. And it's so brilliant that they cast Robert Redford as the antagonist because he's been in so many of those. Like that is such next level brilliance from the Russos. I can't even, and and he, does he phone it in a bit? I don't know that he phones it in. I think there are days on set where he was really in it and days on set where he really wasn't. Sure. Um, but overall, it's a great character and he's fun to watch. And I completely agree with you and I'm glad that you said it, that Captain America is cool in this movie because I am someone, as you know, who struggles with Captain America because he's not cool, because he is so straight-laced and buttoned up. But they do a great job of putting him in scenarios where he can be straight-laced and buttoned up and also be a total badass, be a real hero, be an incredible fighter. Uh, You mentioned the opening uh, fight scene on the boat. There's also that really iconic and sadly memed scene on the elevator, which is a great fight in its own right. Yeah, I don't even know if that's sadly memes. I mean, <laughs> that's, it's, yeah, it's a meme because it's funny that he gets in the elevator and says that line, but mm-hmm. um, that's a great moment. Yeah. And I mean, I'll be honest, I, when, I'm, when I wake up and I'm feeling like not ready to start the day, there's a good chance that I'm going to put on the fight between Captain America and Batrock the Leaper, uh, watch that for five minutes, and then now I'm ready to start my day. I do that pretty regularly. One of the things that Cap struggles with in this movie is, you know, the idea of 
bearing the weight of patriotism, but also dissent, you know, like he's dissenting with the quote unquote government. Granted, it's because he knows that it's infiltrated by Hydra, but he's using civil disobedience to oppose Hydra, to oppose this program where these helicarriers are going to have incredible targeting technology where they can scan a face and obliterate a person from space, basically. Yeah, but like that element of like going against the grain to do its right, I mean, that is what Captain America is meant to be about and mm-hmm. for them to pull that off. Um, and it's so easy for lazy writers to do, in, in any medium, to do Captain America as the toe-of-the-line guy, but he's not the toe-of-the-line guy, he's the always-do-the-right-thing-even-if-it's-hard guy. Yeah. And it, it does a great job of that. We haven't even talked about the gift that it gave us in Anthony Mackie as the Falcon. He's so good in this movie. I am waiting, like, I am dying to see the show with him in Winter Soldier. Yeah. Um, yeah. Because I, I I love him. He's one of the, um, I mean, Sam in the comics, like, is a fine character, but he, um, I mean, up until the recent years when he did kind of take over the mantle and get some books to be the lead in he he was cool but he wasn't you know he didn't he wasn't that interesting yes he didn't think much of him um but anthony mackie is someone i always want to have around yeah ever since the hurt locker like that guy has just been taking what's on the page oh, and, man. Yeah, and making it a mile that. yeah he's brilliant give me the barrett yeah <laughs> um yeah he's just so good at taking the smallest thing he's given and making himself the most interesting man in the room. And yeah. uh, he, I will say Chris Evans is remarkable in this movie. Uh, Sebastian Stan is pretty good in this movie. And then uh, Anthony Mackie just blows them all away. In 2003, to make teleporting work visually and then also make it such a, tactile action scene that feels like it could have been in Mad Max Fury Road, you know? Like, there's a bit of slow motion, I will, which I'm not a fan of, but uh, it, it still is so good. Um, and that kind of brings up one of the best things about this movie, which is that there are roughly 80 characters in this. All of them have an arc. All of them are interesting, except for Pyro, who is a whiny little kid. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's compelling from start to finish. Remember when superhero movies were two hours? I do, because I watched this movie last night and it was two hours and it did so much more. Do you remember so when any more. movie was under two hours? Yeah, that's fair. That's fair. Granted, my number one movie of last year was The Irishman, which was three hours and 40 yeah, minutes. Yeah, exactly. So, pot kettle. Um, there's so much to love in this movie. Uh, the performances that started in the first X-Men movie really get built upon. Magneto's even better. Logan is even better. Uh, Jean Grey finally becomes interesting uh storm is still undersold but she gets good stuff with nightcrawler mystique is better oh and what i really really love is there's a lot of talk about the mutant menace in any x-men medium uh oh it's it's the mutants are out to get us yada 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 but it's like okay if it's one dude who's not bulletproof with eye lasers how scary could it be well the opening scene of this movie where a complete stranger can go into the White House on a tour with a trench coat and get all the way to the president, it really sells the idea of the mutant menace. And it it makes you understand why the president would greenlight everything that the primary antagonist of this movie does. And that is my final point. Boy, is Brian Cox great in this movie. Yeah, he is. Yeah, it is. Uh, 
a masterclass of threading that needle of taking the material in a sci-fi movie seriously, but you don't overdo it either. Like he, you know, he talks about things like Weapon X and like, uh, you know, superpowers and telepathy and all this stuff. But he, uh, I don't know, he just, he just makes everything work. He's got this great way of speaking that just, where he just is so scary because he throws stuff off. Like he'll say something really scary, but just say it so nonchalantly. And then of course, the fact that he's enslaved his own child as a, as a mind control weapon is really scary. Uh, I feel like yeah. that's kind of a hard sell, especially at that point of, I mean, cause this was very early in like, I guess the rise of superhero films, like mm-hmm. they made a very good villain who was not a super villain. He's, you know, he's just like, I mean, he's running obviously weapon X and doing all these things, but he's, he's no superpowers or anything. It's not like you're up against Magneto um, or Dr. Doom or any of these like iconic villains that people know of. Um, so I think that just speaks even more to like how good that character was. Yeah, he is the single reason that the high sci-fi in this movie doesn't bog down the fact that it's an action movie. Like it's always an exciting, practical effects driven, again, action movie. Mm-hmm. But he he himself is the reason that like all of these concepts really flow. Uh, I just love it. So is that a pick for the best superhero movie? I wouldn't have said so before rewatching it, but I really think that it it may be the perfect mix of all of it for me, and it might be my number one. Okay, so um, I have a question. So, like, you talked about how each character has like their own arc that's you know equally addressed, but having not rewatched it recently, in my memory, this is a Wolverine movie. Mm. Well, it's it's you, an X Men property, mean, so it's always sure, a Wolverine. I, I mean, movie. that's true, but like. <laughs> yeah. uh, do you think that kind of detracts from it being like an iconic superhero movie at all? Or do you think it's, that's not an issue? Is it more of a Wolverine and the X-Men movie than an X-Men movie? Absolutely. But I think in the way that Batman Returns has these four main characters that all really flow well, I think X2 does that with Wolverine and Magneto and Storm and Nightcrawler and Jean Grey, who again, I can't overstate how boring she was, in the first movie and then she really gets this full arc and then has this incredible character redemption moment at the end of the movie where you know the dam breaks and she's the one that holds it together for everyone to get away even though wolverine gets too much time i think that because all of these characters have been traumatized by the events of the movie early on and they spend the rest of the movie kind of healing and reclaiming their own power i think that it i think that it works Okay. I again, I can't stress though how annoying Pyro is. <laughs> He's just the the one flaw. It's literally like they told some random teen actor, like, okay, just flip your lighter as many times as possible, and that will be your defining character trait, because that's all he does. Uh, that's because this whole thing is fire. Fire is cool, Lee. I think you're. I think you're forgetting that aspect. There's a great exchange where they're on the X jet, and Pyro is first seduced by the Brotherhood, and uh, the conversation goes, "I can only control the fire." I can't create it. And Magneto, Magneto leans over and puts his hand on his hand and goes, you're a god among, in, among insects. Never let anyone tell you different. And it's just so, because okay. even, you know, even Magneto is like, this kid's lame, but I could use him. Like, oh and that's man. what he's so self-conscious about. Yeah. Like where everyone else is like, 
I'm deformed by my mutant powers or Rogue's like, I can't touch anyone. I'll never fit in. And he's like, yeah, it's pretty sweet that I have fire powers, but I can't make fire. I can only move. Like, that's his, that's his thing. What if my and lighter little, runs out of gas? Yeah, and he's going to whine about that. Like, come on. Uh, yeah, I, uh, man, there, we could do a whole podcast on how good Ian McKellen as Magneto is. That brings us to one of the last real contenders for this title, who also has an incredibly iconic villain. It's got to be, well, it's hard to d- distinguish Infinity War and Endgame, but yeah, I would give Infinity War the extra end. long movie. Yeah. Same um, four-hour movie for sure. No, six-hour yeah. movie for sure. So, so these, um, I actually, so me and my roommates uh, this past weekend, we played the Marvel Villainous game. Um, so I don't know if you were familiar with like, Disney Villainous or if we ever played it. We did, um, yeah. Yeah, okay. So it, they made Marvel version of that. Um, wow, and of I'm course, Googling it now. Yeah, so it's got it's got a pretty good cast, but it also has like the the five playable villains are just the five like most recent MCU villains. So it's got uh, Taskmaster, um, whose movie hasn't even come out yet, um, like they probably expected it would have. Um, then they have uh, Ultron, Thanos, Hela from Thor Ragnarok, and Killmonger from Black Panther. They so chose Hela over Loki. They did. And as I said, it's just because it's the most recent MCU movies. Sure, sure. Um, but there's also like a like you know that there's some, the next expansion pack is going to be the Loki expansion, and then they'll add him pretty soon, I, mm-hmm. I imagine. Um, but anyways, we played that. Um, one of my roommates who was playing as Thanos, her objective was to get all the Infinity Stones. And she really said, man, was it this tough for him to get it in the movies? So then we <laughs> rewatched both Infinity War and Endgame over the next two days. Uh, the answer is no, it was not that tough. It was not that hard, yeah. It he he kind of made it look easy. In the board game, yeah. Um, so those are very fresh. I mean, I watched them this week. Um, and man, those are good movies. Um, I don't think there's been a superhero movie that has captured superheroes um, quite as well. Um, Mm. There's just so many back-to-back cool moments of just the superheroes you love. And it also, it's like, it stands on the shoulders of over like 10 years of, you know, buildup of all the movies before it, but the payoff is there. Um, They, I think they really kind of stuck the landing for the most part on both of these. Yeah, I think the I think the main reason that we love it as much as we do is a programming feat more than a filmmaking feat, right? Like it's because we've seen a decade of solo movies and previous Avengers movies and stuff that it clicks as well as it does. But having said that, it's kind of a banger on its own too. Like, yeah. like if you Especially, took all of the crap out and it was just a Thanos movie, yeah, uh, that's a it's a banger. Like, it's so good. Especially Infinity War. Yeah, um, the first part is just such a like standalone story more so. Like that one kind mm-hmm. of has its own legs a little bit more. I mean, you obviously have to have the background of the characters, but um, really, the only thing that isn't even because watching it again, like I actually kind of paid attention to like how well do they set this up if you haven't seen any movie before mm-hmm. it, and I think the biggest question you would have is right at the very beginning, you're like, wait, why is Thor on a ship with Loki and there's Hulk here too? Like, what's happening here? 
because after that they throw in a lot of exposition like because hulk had been uh you know in space alone up until ragnarok so they fill him in on all the past events and then he in turn fills everyone else in about thanos and the stones so it's actually like oh i i think they kind of do an okay job of trying to fill people in and then from there get going all right now they're superheroes let's go yeah i love that it it knows what to include from the past and what would bog stuff down. Like, yep. there's not a thing of, oh, why is this glowing cube glowing and powerful? It's just, this is one of the five things that I need to do. No, wait, six. Or five. Six. 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 It is it's one of the one six for each things, finger and then the palm. And then the palm, yeah. Yep. It's one of the six things that I need to do the thing that I need to do. And as soon as he gets it, he just crushes it. And I love that symbol as a storytelling symbol, because it's like, who cares about Avengers and Captain America, Avengers 1 and Captain America 1? We don't need it. It's about this purple guy now. Yeah. And you just need to watch this purple guy, get the things he needs to get, and that's all that matters. And speaking of the purple guy, Josh Brolin is I, so good in this movie. So that, that was actually what I thought of when you earlier, you said, I think you said Michelle Pfeiffer was your favorite role in a yeah. superhero movie. Yeah. Um, Roland, who is who comes to mind for me. I think <laughs> that might be it. Yeah, he, he is uh, such a great villain um, and really kind of has his own presence despite like being a mocap giant purple dude that is just really entertaining and just kind of intimidating. I would love, and they may have this, I haven't bought a DVD in quite a while, but um, they may have this on the DVD, but a special feature where you can watch the Thanos scenes like half and half where you have half of the, the completely rendered Thanos and then half of Josh Brolin acting it because there are scenes that it can't just be good animation. It has to be his performance. Like the scene when it flashes back to Gamora as a child and he approaches her and talks to her, that performance is remarkable. And again, it's not just voice work. It's how the face moves and how his body language functions that, I don't know, I, I was blown away by it then. I've seen it three times total, and that's my takeaway every time. Josh Brolin won the Leezy, which, side note, listeners, Leezy's are my Oscars, which are correct and always peerless and uh, uh, without issue. Um, he won the Leezy for supporting actor of the year that Infinity War came out, and it wasn't even a question. He's so good. Yeah, and there's a lot more close-ups on him than you would expect for a mocap character right for an eight like, foot purple alien yeah like it, they really are not afraid to show the emotion with him because he he can deliver it you know they're not they're not hiding away from any of that i think that x2 and infinity war are really interesting kind of sister projects in a way because in a way Infinity War is what X2 would look like if X2 had the technology of 2018. If it came out now, yeah. yeah. But I think that it also is a remarkable achievement on its own right, not just because of the programming, but because it does take so many distinct and interesting and individual superhero characters. It integrates them in fights well as a group. It integrates them in dramatic scenes well as a group. Like, it does a great screenwriting job of pocketing all of these people where you have the space crew and you have the Captain America crew and you have the Wakanda crew and all this stuff. And it's, it's a remarkable success in that regard. And it should not be understated. 
how hard it is to make every character interesting in that movie. Yeah, and they all get a cool superhero moment to shine for the most part. Yeah. And then as far as Endgame, I I think that Endgame is really, really good. But I think that one is completely reliant on you having the emotional connection of this is the... Uh, this is like the last one of these for a while. This is the big one. This is what we've yeah. been building to for so long. It's 100%. It's for the fans. Yeah, it is It is fan service. But it does have some really remarkable moments in it. The action scenes are great. Paul Rudd won the Leezy that year. Or no, no, he didn't win. He was the runner-up. But he's great in it. Um, he's not in Infinity War, which is key, because he's then the viewer surrogate for Endgame. But he's so... He succeeds on every level of being funny, of being emotionally intense of being exciting to watch he's great in it yeah they did a pretty good job with with that character and i think the um i'm not yeah as you said he's kind of the the viewer coming back in and watching it you're watching it with as scott's watching it which is Mm -hmm. nice to have yeah and they really stuck to the five-year time gap more than I expected. As soon as that came in, I was like, oh, this is going to be retconned or whatever. But not only does it last after the movie, but they do a great job of filling that space of what what happened in this time, and they made it interesting. Every single character has gone through significant change and is a completely different person. They've been really profoundly affected by I was going to actually say that. And, yeah. I don't know if I agree with that. I don't think Ooh. they, I don't think it feels like five years have passed. Mm. um and you know like it's i think the first time you're watching it you're so kind of in shock that like oh my gosh five years it's devastating but then like as i was watching it this week i was kind of wondering like it there's so much like uh the streets are still kind of like abandoned and stuff that i i feel like they and not that they really needed to but they don't set up what that world is like too much outside of kind of the the focus group that um or not focus group but like the little like um oh support group yeah support group yeah the support group that that steve leads um otherwise it's kind of like like when scott is first like first gets out of the time machine and is confused he's walking around the streets trying to piece together what happened and like a kid who's like i guess like 12 maybe he's like he's a pretty young kid rides by on his bike and scott's like hey what happened here and this kid like gives him an angry like stare like he's out of a zombie apocalypse movie (laughs) and it's kind of like i mean this kid like i mean sure he's definitely would have been affected by half the people like in the world vanishing but it's like if this kid was like seven when it happened he's still like just riding his bike around the neighborhood it was kind of a weird a weird moment that Mm -hmm. i was like this is really dark for i mean it's a terrible thing that happened obviously but it it just kind of stuck out to me a bit yeah and the the hour in that movie until they get to the time travel stuff, which is amazing, uh, is very gray and very, you know, zombie apocalypse. It's very like, oh, we're all so sad. Oh, it's all yeah, so streets, sad what happens. <laughs> like the, there's still like, there's a shot of like the, the Hudson River and like the Statue of Liberty in New York where like all the boats have like clogged it up and are like blocking the, and it's like, mm-hmm. it's, I get like, there would be a lot of that, but like, is New York not a place that still functions? Yeah, you haven't cleaned that up in five years? Right, because and, and I guess maybe like this is like, again, like I don't expect the movie needed to show this that much, but like I would kind of expect that people 
might kind of like condense or something to the cities like after that an event like mm-hmm. that or something where they'd kind of like rebuild certain areas and then other places would be left um as wastelands or something yeah i would love personally a really like dense dune-esque novelization of the time between infinity war and endgame where they have um they they tell the story of the superheroes in that time but they also do a bunch of world building of what it was like yeah. i think that could be really cool now and endgame is three hours long and i would not sacrifice a minute of the the cool superhero action scenes to get more like world building about that for this movie at least like, yeah I, oh, it's, oh agreed it's kind of weird it stuck out to me but it's not important like that's not important at all it is uh it is remarkable how long that movie is and it's not boring for a second yeah especially like the time travel stuff because um i expected that that part would drag on a bit more um because it's like you're waiting to get to the big battle at the end you know mm-hmm. the second or third you know time it's coming watching, yeah you yeah. know it's coming um but it, it actually flew by like it, it, it they really kind of it has great pacing through it yeah they they chose the teams that go on the different quests very well and there are so many beats that land that you don't expect to land like uh hulk teaming up and and meeting the uh what's her name the ancient one and you're like okay but then it's such a good scene and you're like mm-hmm. all right also a fun fact i saw uh endgame by myself in a theater in the middle of the afternoon one day and tilda swinton shows up and i go oh, i'm so excited i look around no one else could have been bothered no one could have cared less no, like no one else knew who that was <laughs> no, no one was interested they're like yeah it's that girl from that one that we saw or whatever like that's it the trailer you mean yeah i guess so um oh man all right, we uh, should probably wind this down. Uh, but before we go on to viewer mail, which thank you all, dear listeners, for participating in viewer mail this week, what would you say, just first blush, is the worst superhero movie? Oh, gosh. I think for me, it's uh, the one that was the most personally upsetting was uh, Amazing Spider-Man 2 mm. because I was the person who uh, really tried to defend Amazing Spider-Man 1 and say like no this is this is good it's not as bad as you're saying like there's there's some good stuff in here um, and then damn did Amazing Spider-Man 2 rubbed all that in my face and it was just so upsetting for me. It punished your loyalty. Yeah I was like I was the one person who's like hey guys I know it was a little rocky but I think we've got something good here. The next one could be really great. And then it sure wasn't. So Amazing Spider-Man 2 was initially going to be my choice as well. I think it is the worst made in a lot of, oh, sorry, not the worst made because we have fan fantastic, but um, yeah. it's, it's really bad and I really didn't like it. And I made fun of it for a long time, but BVS, Batman versus Superman, colon, Dawn of Justice, parentheses, the introduction of Wonder Woman, close parentheses, is to me the most offensive and therefore the worst because it is so nihilistic. Batman kills like 60 people. Um, like I, I just hate what that movie stands for and what it represents so profoundly. And it offends me 
as a as a superhero fan because I think it just lets down everything that superhero movies are about. Please at me. I will tweet for hours on this. Please at me, listeners. Um, and of course, it does have good things in it. I think that Amy Adams as Lois Lane is really good in it. I think that Wonder Woman's pretty cool. Um, and I don't hate Batfleck. I think that Ben Affleck does a fine job in both BVS and Justice League. And I've never gotten on the hate that DC itself seems to have for Henry Cavill as Superman. Um, Cause they keep not greenlighting another Superman movie, even though we could make a really good one and it wouldn't be hard. And God knows we need a good Superman story right now. But uh, yeah, I think it's BVS for me, but Amazing Spider-Man 2 is hot, flaming it's, garbage. It's down there, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, let's do some viewer mail. Thank you guys so much for writing in. I asked you what you would pick for best and or favorite superhero movie. Uh, the first one's from Christian in Houston, who says, my favorite would have to be Venom. He's not afraid to get down and dirty, but he tries to be a good guy and do right by people. Fan of the Venom movie, not going to lie. I enjoyed it. Yeah, Venom movie was surprisingly fun, despite all expectations, I think. I'm also realizing, Alex, that I read one of yours, so I'm going to send you a replacement. <laughs> oh, sure. I, I didn't even know how this was going to work. <laughs> no worries. I'm along for the ride. Do you want me to read this next one while you do yes. that? Yes, please. Okay, so this one says, um, it's from Eric. He says, I love Planet Hulk. They humanized Hulk by not making him some ape that just destroys everything in sight but he's an actual being that has feelings. Though, the identity of human banner got erased. Love the choice of Planet Hulk. Uh, animated movies, especially on the DC side of things, do a lot of heavy lifting. That's what I was going to ask. Is, is, he, is this like just favorite character, or, or is he talking about the animated movie of Planet Hulk? So I think people definitely realize, or read uh, favorite superhero, or best superhero, which is sure. fine. Um, but, uh, I think he's talking about the cartoon movie. Cause those cartoons were pretty sweet. I, wasn't yeah. it like a, um, was the Planet Hulk movie on the same like double feature as like a Hulk and Wolverine thing? Or am I thinking of something else? Yes. It was Planet Hulk and Hulk versus. And so yeah, okay, Hulk, yeah. versus Hulk versus was like two shorts. It had the Thor really one and good. the Wolverine one. Yeah. 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 And then Planet Hulk was its own feature. Yeah. I remember watching that. Those were, those were a good time. Yeah. Um, Stephanie says, I think about a particular moment from Captain Marvel all the time. There's a bit near the end when she tells another character, I have nothing to prove to you. And that moment means so much to me. A complete reversal of expectations and superhero tropes. It's given me a model for the energy I want to achieve in my life. <laughs> That's really good. Wow. I like that. I, uh, Captain Marvel's a good movie. Uh, I love that. For me, that mantra moment is Wonder Woman in the... Um, the trend she comes out of the trench, she walks out of the trench yeah. yeah oh man that's like something i play in my head that's that's up there as uh, we talked about movies as a whole which i don't think wonder woman yeah uh, is too high up on the list it's got some issues but as far as like moments in a superhero movie that part is very high up there yeah that's it, it's a it is a an okay movie with many fantastic parts yeah but I also, I thought Captain Marvel was also pretty good. Um, mm. I think it has a little bit of like kind of pacing parts that like maybe it's, it was kind of slow to start for a bit, but the end is really good. Yeah, I, I saw it with my parents and they are not MCU devotees at all. Like they've seen maybe half of mm -hmm. the MCU movies. And I was very conscious while watching it 
that the first third of that movie is completely unintelligible to an uninitiated person. And I checked with them after the movie and they were like, yeah, we had no idea what was going on, but we liked it. Cool. Yeah. His like kind of metallic wings that he has that he can use as a shield and stuff. And like when he's flying and then someone shoots at him and he curls up in a ball mid flight to block it and then spreads back out again. Like they did some cool stuff. Um, with his action scenes you know it's not just like a guy flying around shooting at you with little pistols like he does some moves uh i'm sorry did you say metallic shield curl up into a ball and flying around in the same sentence because that means that i get to talk about magneto in x2 (laughs) x-men united okay (laughs) which all right which, uh, for segue though it may be... Yeah, you stretch that, but... Yeah, it, it, uh, I stretch that like Magneto stretch. Stretches metal, stretches metal. magnetism. Yes. I, yep, I know where you're going. <laughs> um, I am really happy that I took the time to rewatch this, because it's always been one of my favorites in the back of my head. I'm a big X-Men fan. But when I sit down and I think about it after viewing it very recently, a- a.k.a. yesterday, um, it has maybe more iconic moments than any other superhero for me superhero movie for me mm-hmm. there's the great scene that i just alluded to of magneto i can't believe i'm about to say this ripping the iron out of a dude's blood turning it into a bunch of tiny ball bearings and using it to escape prison which is his, so cool yeah his plastic prison yeah his plastic prison and his all white little like they mm-hmm. they gave him the most stylish prisoner clothes ever <laughs> they're like it's like a double-breasted coat with this high collar and uh he just looks so iconic and he floats out of there and killed that dude um there's the great scene where mystique takes out that entire room full of guards there's of course the fight between uh Deathstrike and wolverine um and then there's the really great sequence that Frankly, I'd kind of forgotten about that opens the movie where uh, yeah, I was waiting for you to clears, get to this yeah, one. He just clears the entire Secret Service in the White House. Uh, another one I have is uh, The Dark Knight. All right, great choice. It's the closest to real, not cartoony, and the Joker was so good, better than Joaquin. Ooh. I was going to say, don't tell the Oscars, but I guess they both won. <laughs> and Christian Bale is by far the best Batman. It's incorrect, but it's, that last uh, it's part a is a bit yeah. questionable. <laughs> but everything else, yeah, I, I can agree with most of that. And that's from Nicho in Austin. Thank you, Nicho. Thank you for listening. Okay, I got one that says Deadpool. All the fourth wall breaks make an experience worth witnessing multiple times. The story is constantly moving forward and has multiple great plot twists. The jokes are genuinely funny, and the hard humor adds that perfect extra note. The reference to Green Lantern is also great. This is from Reese, who wrote in from England. All right, thank you, Reese. Fun fact, Deadpool was the most voted, like, by far. There were right triple that of the next closest one. Oh, um, wow. Yeah. Yeah, and... Uh, so I guess we're wrong, and Deadpool <laughs> was the answer, huh? Deadpool was the best one. Uh, we've talked about this, and I will say very briefly about Deadpool. There could not be a thing on the planet that is less for me than Deadpool, but that movie was really good. Mm-hmm. It was Wait. really fun. It also kind of, it, it it appeals to you because it throws in Colossus like yes just my for you like X-Men. you know that yeah. that was just for you right yeah it uh it was a love letter to me and it was very effective all right uh haven't decided on a topic next week but I want to thank you guys so much for listening thank you for contributing to viewer mail please tweet text well don't text that would be weird uh, Instagram whatever 
your your thoughts about this episode and we'll see you next week uh you can find me on twitter at lee underscore h underscore henry you can find me on instagram at leadimus underscore maximus but prepare to be disappointed because i don't think i've posted on instagram since 2017 and alex thank you so much for being on here and talking superhero movies with me of course it was a blast all right we will see you guys next week thank you so much